Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Brazil, Hungary, and the United States. Starting out with Brazil, we have uh, some news coming out of Reuters that Bolsonaro, Jair Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, uh, has been accused by the Human Rights Watch uh, of being, quote, a threat to democracy. And specifically, they mean democracy in Brazil. Uh, Human Rights Watch has accused Bolsonaro of trying to weaken the strength of democratic institutions in the country, specifically with his attacks on the legitimacy of political elections and also the independence of the Brazilian judiciary. In addition to this, Bolsonaro has denied indigenous rights. He's promoted the deforestation of the Amazon. He's spread COVID misinformation, etc. These are the accusations brought by Human Rights Watch. Of course, the timing of this accusation is not um, neutral. In fact, Human Rights Watch is doing this specifically in the lead up to the Brazilian election, which is coming later this year in October. Bolsonaro has not responded to these accusations. This is pretty characteristic. You know, he would ignore something like this, not just because he doesn't care about the Human Rights Watch, but because he is, in fact, doing all of these things, right? He he actually did try to advocate for a January 6th style storming of the Brazilian Supreme Court, um, which failed, you know, it sort of sputtered. And he has been, you know, making his advances in trying to promote the idea that uh, the coming Brazilian election will be illegitimate because he believes that he will lose it. Human Rights Watch has also noted that Bolsonaro is a sycophant of the former military government that ruled Brazil from the 1960s through to the 1980s, and that he has supported military government-style crackdowns on political dissidents, uh, which is unfortunately very true. Moving on to Hungary, some news that I actually missed from last week. Hungary is going to have an election as well. Uh, This election was announced by Hungary's president last week. Uh, Hungary has a parliamentary system in which the president can call for parliamentary elections. Uh, So the president has set an election date of April 3rd uh, for parliamentary election. And uh, the actual leader, you know, the the real political leader of Hungary, Viktor Orban, will be facing off against a united opposition, uh, which is a very dangerous position to be in as a parliamentary leader. Uh, What this means is that all of the other major parties in Hungary, other than Orban's own Fidesz party, are united in opposing him. And essentially, they're saying like, hey, if our parties combined get over 50% of the vote, then uh, Fidesz is going to be out of power, uh, which will be the first time that Fidesz has been out of power in over a decade. Orban took control of that country and has been moving it in a self-described illiberal direction for quite some time. What this means is that uh, Fidesz is facing a serious opposition, and not just from the left or from center parties, they're also facing a united opposition that involves the rest of the right wing, specifically the Jobbik party, which previously was rivaling the ruling Fidesz party as being like the most extreme right wing party in mainstream European politics. Uh, Jobbik was actually quasi-fascistic. Uh, they had anti-Semitic platforms. They were they, they were an extreme right-wing party. They have, well, supposedly moderated a little bit. Uh, at least they're not open about a lot of these things anymore. 
And some of their leadership has self-proclaimed Jewish heritage, which is actually a pretty substantially different face for Jabbok than they had before. But they, they remain a, a right-wing, you know, populist nationalist party. Uh, however, the fact that they are joining against Fidesz is really interesting. Uh, it means that Orban really has a fight cut out for him uh, in this election in April. Additionally, on that day, the Orban government has announced that there will be a referendum on the government's recent LGBTQ law, or specifically an anti-LGBTQ law. Uh, this law, which was passed in Hungary earlier last year, makes it illegal, essentially, to discuss or educate children uh, about LGBTQ issues or queer rights. Uh, it also restricts the presentation of queer people before the watershed, you know, essentially when, when the government assumes that children will be watching TV or consuming media of that kind. Uh, so there's going to be a referendum, not just on uh, the actual rulership of Fidesz in the form of a parliamentary election, there will be a referendum on an actual law that they have passed. Um, and this anti-LGBTQ platform of Fidesz is, is it's a major part of their political ideology uh, alongside anti-immigrant um, and um, racist positions uh, that Fidesz has been occupying recently. Moving on to the United States, uh, there's actually a lot of news about the United States. First is that Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the Oath Keepers, one of the major fascist organizations, fascist paramilitary organizations in the United States, has been arrested. And not just for anything, he's been arrested for a conspiracy to commit sedition. Uh, this is coming from Huffington Post. This is the first time that somebody has been charged with like an actual sedition charge regarding the attempted coup of January last year. Uh, this is precisely what Stuart Rhodes has been accused of, that he and other Oath Keepers were organizing to commit political violence in order to prevent you know, the president, Joe Biden, from becoming the president. Uh, this is really fascinating. This this, this is a, a bridge that I wasn't entirely sure that the United States justice system was going to cross. But here they are. They're, they've charged someone with trying to stage a coup in order to maintain the presidency of Donald Trump. Uh, the evidence for this comes from a lot of documents, text threads, email threads, things like that, that they have obtained from Oath Keepers, largely as a result of the, well, cooperation uh, with the police, or rather with the FBI, from a former Oath Keeper who, who agreed to talk to them, somebody who had been arrested earlier in the process of the FBI's investigation of the Oath Keepers' involvement with January 6th. Speaking of more people who have been put into the justice system for their engagement with the attempted coup last year, Rudy Giuliani and several other Trump uh, administration officials have been subpoenaed. They join a lot of other former Trump administration officials in this, uh, having been subpoenaed by the January 6th Select Committee in the House of Representatives. Specifically, Giuliani was subpoenaed uh, for documents related to his suggestion that the Trump administration just go out and seize election equipment around the country, uh, which is something that he did, in fact, suggest that the president do. He said, you know, hey, you could just like go out and take voting machines from, you know, states like Georgia that you claim to have lost narrowly, which is false, uh, but that you could just go out and take those pieces of election equipment and then you would have them and then you might be able to, you know, fabricate the results of the election that you had lost. 
Giuliani has not said anything about how he will respond to the subpoena. So far, uh, listeners of the podcast know the people who have been subpoenaed by the committee who had worked for the Trump administration have almost exclusively stonewalled. They have not engaged with the committee. They're not talking to them. They're not releasing any information. And some of this you know, some of them have actually faced criminal charges uh, as a result. We're going to have to see how Giuliani responds to this. This is a pretty serious thing here. Giuliani was one of the closest allies to Trump on the day of the coup and right leading up to it. Uh, He was one of the people speaking to that crowd, trying to get them to invade the United States Congress and like possibly kill people in it. So this is a really fascinating development. We're just going to have to keep our eyes peeled about this. Further on the wake of the Trump administration's conclusion and its attempted coup, we know now from CNN and a bunch of other sources that four pages, finally, of documents uh, which the Trump administration had tried to keep out of public eye have been released to the January 6th Select Committee. This is the really the first set of documents that the Trump administration, internal documents of the Trump administration, that the committee has had access to. And the fact is that a bunch more are going to come. Uh, This is because the Supreme Court, uh, Wednesday of this week, has agreed with the committee that these documents, that that a bunch of other documents, like thousand other documents, are going to be released, that, that the Trump administration cannot protect them with the you know presidential powers that the president enjoyed when he was the president. These two come documents, the ones that the Supreme Court says must be released by the National Archives, are a lot of really important things regarding this coup. We're talking about presidential diaries, visitors' logs, that is, documents which show who came in and out of the White House and when and on what business. Uh, a bunch of notes by aides and also Trump himself. Uh, This is real smoking gun stuff about the planning of the coup. This is like, you know, we're going to be able to have timelines about who did what, when, and where in the days before the coup. And some of that we already know, but the real internal bits about like who was meeting with whom, talking about, you know, the plan to invade Congress. uh, This is stuff that we're probably going to be learning in a couple months. And we're going to be learning it in a couple months because the committee has made it clear now that they plan to make some of this stuff public in autumn, at least. Uh, That specifically, uh, their plan is to create some preliminary reports in the summer and also a somewhat more substantial report later this year. This is a real election year gamble on the part of this almost exclusively democratically run committee because... They seem to be pinning the prospect of a Democratic Congress, you know, a continuation of the Democratic control of Congress in the elections that are happening later this year in November on the legacy of this coup. Now, that's a real gamble for a couple of reasons. One is that it's possible that people will have forgotten and not be paying attention to the coup anymore. You know, it it is the American public, and this would be an event that happened almost uh, two years ago by that point. And also the problem is that like a lot of people in the United States supported that coup. Uh, and so hammering home the the fact that one political party was engaged in trying to commit the coup might not be exactly the slam dunk that they think it will be in terms of defeating Donald Trump's legacy and defeating Republicans who are trying to take back Congress largely in his name. 
Additionally, there's there's another wrinkle here, which is which is a little fascinating. Uh, the Biden administration has intervened for the first time in the conduct of the January 6th Select Committee to suggest to them that they not collect a, a third set of documents uh, that they had requested from the Trump administration. Specifically, these documents come from the National Security Council. Now, the Biden administration has said that these documents are quote, necessary to preserve the confidentiality around discussions of the presidency. Uh, What exactly they mean by that is a little unclear. Do they mean that these documents are about, you know, presidential security, and so therefore they shouldn't be made public to members of Congress or to anybody? Or could it be something a little creepier? Like, does it mean that it implicates certain people that the Biden administration doesn't really want to be involved in this investigation? Could it be about people outside of the Trump administration who are potential collaborators with the coup? You know, people who were reached out to and we're going to we're going to like have a blind eye to the coup. The fact that it involves the National Security Council means that it could involve the military in some way. And there are still some unanswered questions about the coup, uh, specifically about the involvement of the National Guard and the fact that they didn't get deployed for quite a long time. And, you know, there are other questions there about, like, which parts of the American government knew about the coup, who knew uh, what, and who knew when. So unfortunately, it is unlikely that we're going to be able to answer some of those questions because these documents will apparently remain secret for the normal amount of time that those documents remain secret, which uh, as a historian, I am sorry to inform you, uh, increases uh, daily almost. Uh, Every time some trove of documents like that is about to be declassified, they often uh, have their classification extended. Finally, I'm going to close out this episode like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, however, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different, which is just commemorating that today, this week in history, January 20th, uh, was the conclusion of the presidency of Donald Trump. Uh, The presidency of Trump ended January 20th, 2021, when Joe Biden took the oath of office. This ended years of Donald Trump's administration, uh, years of anti-immigration policies, uh, an attempt to build a border wall on the United States' border with Mexico, uh, years of advocacy of anti-choice politics, um, the appointment of three conservative Supreme Court justices, the gutting of many public services, botched responses to the COVID-19 pandemic, and of course, a political rhetorical alliance with the far right and even with relatively openly fascist organizations in the United States. His presidency, of course, concluded with the first attempted coup on the part of a sitting president in United States history. Now, of course, a lot of these negative policies and these horrible political and social trends uh, embodied by the Trump administration have not ended with the Biden administration, but it is worth celebrating that that administration is over. So, to the presidency of Donald Trump, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Tell friends, family, and comrades about it. Uh, You can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism, all one word. And you can follow me on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H-I-S-T of the right, or at fascism 15 all right i will talk to you next week